This is Rob Scott, and you're listening to the Fulham Focus Podcast. Welcome to the Fulham Focus podcast. My name is Matt Boisclair and we're back after the first tedious international break of the season to talk about some proper football. We've got a chat about a man who made his mark with both Fulham and West Bromwich Albion coming up, plus a preview of Saturday lunchtime's match with the Boing Boing Baggies too. But before any of that, thanks to Rob Scott for opening the show. Rob made 95 appearances for the club during the 90s, scoring 17 goals and made a big contribution to the 96-97 Mickey Adams promotion season. He was described by his former manager as someone who would play anywhere and always give his best. A top professional who never gave me any trouble. You can read Rob Scott's Q&A with Danny on our website, fullandfocus.com. He's tall, he's fair, he always combs his hair. Robbie Scott, we salute you. Right, joining me firstly is the man with the stats, the only man called Arta who's not serving a suspension this week. It's our very own Stato, Matt Arta. Are you good, mate? Hello, hello. I'm good, thank you. Um... <laughs> good stuff. And a man who shares a first name with the surname of one of Fulham's finest legends of all time and a surname with an undesirable area of Glasgow. He's neither a legend nor is he undesirable, though. Just don't call him Carlton. It's Morgan Cowson. Evening, Morgs. <laughs> hello, mate. How's it going? <laughs> all right, let's get into it and talk about our favourite Hungarian, Zoltan Gira. Fulham. Okay, so we're we're playing West Brom on Saturday lunchtime and a player that is very dear to both Fulham and West Brom is Zoltan Gira. He he signed for Fulham when he was 29. He was out of contract at West Brom, turned down a new contract at West Brom and decided to come to us instead. And it all worked out rather marvellously for him and us in the end. Um, Morse, can you remember when he signed? What did you think of the signing? He, He was quite a good player at West Brom, wasn't he? Well, yeah, I was really excited because I remember um, I left uni a couple of years before and one of my housemates was a really big West Brom fan and he was basically a hero to him. And uh, so, you know, we were talking and I said, you know, we've signed him. It's like, yeah, I'm really pissed off. I can't believe he's left us. You know, the world's ending. So that's always good. And this was, you know, pre-Twitter as well. Mm. So, you know, you can't really get sort of the reaction of the fans. But when you sort of like, you know, you know someone has loved a player so much and, you know, you see him on match of the day and all that but it was uh yeah i thought it was a really good sign it's one of those players that you would consider possibly unremarkable but you know that he works hard and i think it was uh yeah it was a great signing especially on the back yeah. of um the season before that's right yeah it sums that sums up my feelings completely actually I, I i thought he was kind of an unremarkable signing but a bit of a workhorse and i thought we might get a few goals out of him what do you think Stato? do you remember do you remember a signing zolzingera I do, I do. Um, not to make either of you feel old, but I was I was fourteen at the time that when we signed him. Right. So you know, I was a typical teenager who played a lot of FIFA. So I just knew Zoltan Gira as this midfielder who played for West Brom, and then obviously on match of the day, he'd score the odd screamer here and there for West Brom. Um, and then when we signed him, again, you know, it, w- it was pretty uneventful. It was a free transfer. We didn't think much of it. But wow, w- what? You know, he turned into, obviously he's turned into one of our icons and, you know, it's just goes to show what a free agent signing can do for us. 
Yeah, I think his his form in the league was never really as good as his form in in the Europa League, was it? I mean, he will be forever ingrained with us because of the goals and his performances that he he scored in Europe. And we were we were chatting today, weren't we, on on WhatsApp and kind of talking about what would his career have been at Fulham had Andy Johnson not got injured? Because Andy Johnson and Bobby Zamora were kind of like the front two, weren't they, the, the previous season? Um, sorry, in uh, 08, 09. And then Gira kind of came to came to four in um, in the Europa League season, 09, 10, didn't he? Um, yeah, so, you know, that's a, it was an interesting question, you know, talking about, you know, what, what would have happened had AJ been fully fit? And, you know, obviously... It was a bit, it was very unfortunate what happened to Johnson during his time at Fulham, and you know when he was fit, he was firing fast, and you know that you'd think would that bring Gira down the pecking order? It probably would, but then you know I also think you know during the Europa League run and you know during that time, Gira didn't necessarily play as the second striker. He was sometimes out in the wing with Dempsey behind Zamora. Um, you had Simon Davis in the fold as well, so. You know, if we would have, if we would not have had that as big of an impact, but you know, you can only wonder what would have happened. Yeah, I think I think Gira and, and AJ are obviously two very different types of players, aren't they? AJ was the sort of player who'd try and get him behind the defender and play off the shoulder and use his pace, whereas Gira didn't wasn't blessed with pace particularly, but he he was blessed with a very good work ethic. And as Stato said, he he often played in midfield as well. But he kind of converted into a second striker and formed a, a really decent partnership with Bobby Zamora during that Europa League mocks, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know, I was watching it, you know, probably I was living in Australia at the time, so I was getting up at sort of stupid o'clock to watch these games. And he always stood out as, you know, one of our sort of key players in then, obviously, sort of as the, you know, the later rounds uh, progressed more and more so. But he's, there was something, you know, sort of watching him. He was like, it was, he was very different. Obviously, AJ was very clinical. He was a proper striker with a bit of pace. Whereas Gear had this, whilst he, you know, was a workhorse, he also had this ability to turn on the sixpence. I mean, I was watching some of his goals again this afternoon. And his ability to just basically swing, swing round, you know, in sort of a manner that was so quick. You know, I haven't seen that from a Fulham player before uh, or since, I don't think. And he, um, you know, he just had that ability just to sort of score when you didn't think anyone else would. And obviously, uh, the Hamburg goal was sort of one of those examples, um, which is probably the, the most important one in his career uh, at Fulham or in his career in general. But he was, um, yeah, he was just one of those players that was so integral to the Europa League team. But as you said, you know, possibly not in the same way in the league. Yeah, there's there's a couple of goals that stand out when you talk about almost turning on a sixpence with with his back to goal. There's the Hamburg one, and then he did a, a very similar sort of thing against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge as well, where he kind of took the ball, took a touch, and then and then just buried it beyond the keeper. Um, and United unusual. as well, the Man U, ga- uh, Man U game. Yeah, the little yeah. kind of flicked it up, didn't he? I don't know if he miscontrolled it with that touch when when we beat doesn't matter. Nil, but... Does not oh, matter. No, no, absolutely not. But <laughs> if, if he did miscontrol it, and then his, his second touch was absolutely sublime, wasn't it? Um, mm-hmm. We'll we come on to his goals then. So I'm, I'm just going to list the ones in in the Europa League to begin with. He had the the one mm-hmm. against Basel. Um, then he he scored the first one against Shakhtar. And then he scored mm-hmm. two against Juventus. 
and then of course he scored the one against uh, Hamburg as well, and set up the the equaliser in the final as well. So, of his of his goals in Europe, if you can remember them, which one Stato would you say really stands out as? Firstly, I mean we don't need to talk about the most important one because the most important one was quite clearly the uh, the Hamburg goal in in the semi final that, that took us to the final. But which which of those goals from from Europe would you say stands out as his best? I mean, it's it's really hard not to say the Hamburg one, to be honest. Yeah. You know, not just because of the importance, but just because of the technique and just how he brought that down and just rinsed that defender and just finished. Oh god, just the memories of that. Yeah, it was just such yeah. a good time. It was. And, it was. I remember the, the first goal know, that Simon Davis scored. I, I didn't even celebrate that goal. I thought I'm not going to get too excited here because one goal isn't enough after Petric gave them the lead. But once that second goal went in, I just went mad and lost my voice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if if we had to pick a, a different goal from that Europa League run, um, I think the Basel goal was, you know, quite a quite an important goal. You know, we were still in the group stages at that time. Um, we were away. Uh, you know, to get a result in Basel, that final group day, to get to you know qualify that was such an important moment for us and we had to win that game yeah we had wouldn't to. have been enough we had to win exactly and you know the fact that we did and he got on the score sheet and you know he put in such a good performance for us on that day you know that was just you know that, that's probably the one that stands out other than the Hamburg one for me what about you Morgs would you agree with the with the Basel one well, yeah, I think because otherwise, you know, the run wouldn't have happened. It would just been another repeat of the uh, 2000 and what was it, 2011-2012 Europa run. And it just been a bit of a whimper. And, you know, that's whilst, you know, the Juve goals, obviously two goals in that game are ones that put us through. And, you know, but without that goal in the snow, it would have uh, been a very different story. Would have been. It definitely would have been. Um, aside from his goals in Europe, um, uh, what does the does the Manchester United goal stand out as his best? There was also an absolute cracker away at Man City in the League Cup that he hammered mm. into the bottom corner from probably thirty five yards. Yeah, I think the goals against the two Manchester teams probably stand out. Um, I know we already mentioned the Chelsea one as well, where he managed to swivel around. The thing with Giro is he either scores like absolute belters like that one against City, or he just scores like the nice little scrappy goals in the box. You know that aren't particularly yeah. special but are important. And, you know, that's kind of epitomises Gira perfectly in a way. You know, he, he just works and works and works and, you know, does produce, does produce that moment of magic every now and then. And, you know, the City and the United goals kind of show that. And, you know, they're probably the most memorable ones to you know, that we can think of. But there are uh, so many other ones. I would think that City goal was probably sort of further out than the rest of his goals combined. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, quite exactly. probably, yeah. yeah. It was it was a very sort of it seemed like a very uncharacteristic goal considering sort of looking at the rest of them, and I think you know it's just one of those that he just on the nice height just hit it and uh, mm-hmm. flew in, but you know sort of it wasn't sort of your typical gear of finish, uh, but mm-hmm. you know can't argue with that. I think I think part of the reason that he was so popular to Fulham fans because he was only at the club for three years. He left in two thousand and eleven, um, but the reason he was he was so popular apart from the important goals that he scored was the fact that he was good under pressure. So he, he popped up with that important second goal against Juventus just before half time. And then as soon as we got the penalty, 
in the um, in the second half to make it level on aggregate. He was the one that, stu- that, that stood up and he showed no nerves whatsoever. It's a cracking penalty into the bottom corner. Mm-hmm. And he'd also really celebrate the goals well as well. It wasn't like he'd arrogantly run off and, you know, yes, that was me. I did do that. He properly do backflips and all sorts. And the goal against Hamburg, he's on his knees looking up to the gods. He's it it, just a really passionate man. I think he's like the perfect, he's the sign that probably epitomizes, you know, what that Roy Hodgson scene was about. You know, he, we signed him, like I said, we signed him on a free and he wasn't, you know, the flashiest of players and he wasn't, you know, no one who's a non-Fulham fan looked at Gear and thought he was an amazing player, but his work rate and, you know, his, his passion and his, his desire to stick to the game plan, which is, you know, some, you know, a big part of Roy's you know, mentality of all of his teams, you know, it just perfectly summed it up. And I think Gira was, you know, the perfect player, you know, to fit into a Roy Hodgson system. I think especially after sort of, you know, coming so close to going down, he needed to bring in players that mm. did have that, did install that sort of work ethic that maybe hadn't been seen from the team that Sanchez put together. And he obviously had talent as well, which helped, which maybe a couple of them didn't have at the time. And it's, you know, that was the exact signing that was needed. You know, that type of player, you know, if, uh, you know, what's his face? Klein had been about, or, you know, whoever had been putting the stats together, that would have been what he'd been looking for back then. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And of course, he was player of yeah. the season in 2009-10, the Euro, Europa League season. So his his work rate and and his achievements didn't go unnoticed by the Fulham supporters. Okay, in 2011, he was coming to the end of his contract, and we played Arsenal on the last day of the season. Gear was on the bench, and as he comes off the bench, he gets a big ovation. I remember the Hammersmith end singing Zoltan Gear, we want you to stay. He was on the pitch for a couple of minutes, and he went flying in with a two footed tackle and got sent off immediately. Um, so his, his career came to a, a really unfortunate end at Fulham. Do you guys remember that at all? Uh, I, I don't actually remember it, to be honest. Um, it was only when we were prompted in the group chat today about his final game for us. Um, and you're looking back on it, it was quite a bad challenge, wasn't it? And I think, it wasn't the best. Uh, it was quite un- uncharacteristic of him, to be honest. Must, must have been quite wound up. And, you know, quite the adrenaline pumping because of the ovation that he got. And he was just doing his absolute best. But he wasn't that sort of player at all, was he? He wasn't the sort of player. I I never really remember him um, being dirty at all. But, yeah, that was quite uncharacteristic. I was just thinking sort of after, uh, you know, a season of playing under Mark Hughes and sort of being frustrated with his lack of game time, (laughs) he was probably just so pissed off with him. And just like, you know what, I just so much sort of frustration built up over the course of a season that I imagine he was sort of, you know, if he'd been given the ball again, 30 yards out, he probably would have just taken a sort of pot shot straight, uh, straight towards goal. But instead, you know, the person that came nearest to him was the one that got the pot shot. And, you know, you say he's, it was uncharacteristic. It was definitely, you know, not what you'd seen from him over the last, you know, three years. And it was, it was a, I guess, a passionate tackle. Let's call it that rather than dirty. Um, and I think it was just a really unfortunate way for him to go, really. And it's um, and it was sad that he was leaving. But obviously, you know, if his belief was that Mark Hughes was going to be there come the next season, then he wasn't going to get any more game time. So, you know, yeah. the right move for him was to uh, move off. Of course, he went back to West Brom. And who was manager at West Brom at the time? Roy Hodgson. Roy, of course. Yeah. Do you reckon he would have stayed, like, had, had, had he known that Hughes wouldn't have been there? 
knows? Or was his, or was his heart Who? set on you know re- reuniting with West Brom and with Roy? You know, it kind of sounds like a match made in heaven, heaven for him, doesn't it? So, well, Roy brought the best out of him, didn't he? Quite clearly, definitely. Fulham certainly did anyway. All right, so he scored 17 goals in 117 games whilst he was at Fulham. I'm going to ask each of you to give him a rating on his Fulham career, a rating out of 10 now. Morgs, to you first, what do you give Zoltan Gira's time at Fulham out of 10? Uh, for passion, for the importance of his goals, you know, I think I'm just going to have to give him an 8. I think, you know, he if he'd been, considering how important his goals were in the Europa League and stuff, uh, and, you know, what he offered to the team. I think I would have given him sort of a nine if he'd sort of shown it in the league as much as he had mm. in the uh, Europa. But I'll give him a nice yeah. solid eight. Nice. And what about you, Stato? Yeah, I think I think an eight is probably about right for him. Um, I was just looking up, actually. He only scored five goals for us in the league. But, you know, that is, that's eclipsed by, you know, what he achieved for us in Europe. And for that alone, yeah. I think a solid eight. Yeah. Yeah, no, fair enough. I, I think I'd agree with you. I, I'd also go for an eight just because of that Europa run, really. That we'll never see that again. Well, I certainly won't see that again in my lifetime. So, um, just You're only quickly. 37. <laughs> well, yeah. But what are you, you 38. Can... How old are you? I don't know. Yeah, you're not... 30, 38. But can you see us getting into another Europa final in the next, I don't know, 30, 40 years? I certainly can't. Yeah, well, you know, there'll be there'll be some weird sort of other sort of version of the competition by then. We'll be in a final of some sort. Yeah, they're, well, they're, making, so, they're making a Europa League 2, aren't they? Yeah, aren't exactly. They? Brilliant. <laughs> well, given the fact that we know that you were at a wedding when we got to the playoff final and um, and you missed the Europa final because you were in Australia, any chance you yeah. can fuck off somewhere else again so we can get some more <laughs> accessories? <laughs> it's not like my missus. <laughs> Good stuff, lads. All right, let's go on to the Saturday's game of West Brom. Fulham. Okay, so just quickly before we uh, we discuss the West Brom game, Fulham confirmed that Michael Hector, Chelsea centre half, will be joining permanently in January after he almost joined on transfer deadline day this time, but something went wrong with the with the timings, I think, and we, we just missed out. So he's currently training with us. Stato, are you happy with that signing? Extremely happy. He he is a top quality signing for us, I think, and it's exactly what we need. And it's just a shame that we don't get him till January. Um, we can only hope that we're still up and around there come January. And then when he comes in, what what a reinforcement to have come January, and what a boost it will be to the team. I think. Yeah, just um, if if we are up there though, and we're we're not conceding that many goals. All right, we've we conceded a few so far. But if if the defence is looking solid, then I don't think he'll he'll walk straight into the team. What do you think, Morgs? I think it's it's. I mean, it's a great signing. I don't I don't know a huge amount about him. But I've done a bit of reading up and sort of you know, looking at sort of uh, responses from uh, Sheffield Wednesday and Chelsea fans and whatnot. And it's you know it's the signing that we needed in August. Whatever it was, and um, yeah, in August. But it does take some of the pressure off the transfer window come January. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're not going to be heading up to the sort of January 31st, you know, 10.59 p.m. going, where's our bloody defender? At least we have him from January 1st, straight in the team if need be. But at least it does keep Mawson and Ream on their toes. Because mm-hmm. at the moment, there's not really a capable backup. You know, you might count uh, a doy, but you certainly can't count 
Count Lamarchand at the moment because, let's face it, every time he's come to the pitch, he's looked like an absolute liability. Um, and I think. Hmm? You can McDonald. You yeah, can, true. but he's not. He's not <laughs> technically a centre back. So I'd rather sort of you know if you're going to go for, you know, a, a backup, then you want someone who can play there naturally. And I think you know if you have someone like Hector who is so well regarded, especially at this level, uh, ready to come in. And I think you know the fact that he is training with the team, he can get to know them. Uh, hopefully, he'll get some um, uh, PL two games if he's allowed to play in that. Uh, they might organise a couple of behind closed doors friendlies for him. I think it would. It's a, bit of a very savvy sort of business to get it done when uh, right now. So I think you know from that point, well done to Tony Khan and all that lot. And I think you know as long as he can sort of you know stay fit, keep up a sharpness as best as he can. You know with three months without football, um, and you know sort of hopefully come January he can uh, you know come straight to the side if we need him. Uh, otherwise. You know, as soon as one of Mawson or Ream sort of uh, lose a bit of form or inevitably when Mawson gets injured, he can step straight in. Yeah, no, fair enough. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to him joining up with the with the first team in, in January. Uh, one man that we won't be seeing again, though, and there was not a dry eye in the house last week when he left was Fabry, who joined Mallorca on loan. And uh, genuinely, a, a really sad one for me was Floyd Ayite, who joined... <laughs> Some team in Turkey called Bilgi <laughs> or something like that. Something like Flawless. that. Yeah, of course. Um, really sad to see Floyd go, and um, I think everybody at Fulham Focus wishes wishes Floyd all the best, especially for uh, for his performances in the in the season when we got promoted. I would have liked to see him stay this season, to be honest. But obviously, he uh, he wasn't seen as somebody who was going to be playing many games. So yeah, all, all the best to Floyd Ayute. I, th- I think for, from that. Uh... <laughs> Floyd sort of knew that he wasn't in the first team. He's, was he 30, 31 now? Yeah, so, I think, you know, and it was it was the right move for him. I mean, you've probably got half decent money over there, you know, opportunity to play first team football. And yeah. I would have liked, yeah, same as you, I would have liked to see him stay. I'm more than happy to see Niskan sort of uh, go off because I think those two are kind of uh, competing for that, you know, extra place on the bench as it were. So it is sad to see him go, but I think, you know, from his point of view, you can't sort of, you know, uh, say that he wasn't making it, uh, making the right move. I think from the Fabry point of view, I mean, I think when he signed, the reaction of the uh, Besiktas fans to him joining was just like, I was expecting this, you know, unpassable keeper. Uh, it just, I, I felt really sorry for him. I think he wasn't given a chance. I think, you know, he didn't look great in those first two games, but then no one did. Um, Mm. And he just seemed to be a massive scapegoat for it. And, I've, you know, I've said it before, I'm not a massive fan of Betts. I don't think he's that good. And I think he gets sort of, you know, a lot of uh, leeway just because of, you know, him being, uh, you know, one of our own, as it were. Um, So I think, you know, it would have been nice for him to have been given more of an opportunity, but I really hope he does well in Mallorca and... You know, it'll be nicer in winter down that way anyway. Yeah, definitely. Good luck to him. All right, yeah. let's move on to let's move on to Saturday's game uh, against West Brom. Uh, one man who has very recently been part of West Brom's plans is Stefan Johansson. I think he might be back in the team this weekend after Harry Arter's suspension. I'll, personally, I think Harrison Reed will do the, the Harry Arter defensive midfield role and Steph, Steph Joe will come back into the team. 
what do you guys think? What do you think, Stato? Are you expecting Steph Jay to be back in the team this weekend? Yeah, I'm fully expecting uh, Reed, Johansson and Kearney in the midfield three. Although Arta has got off to an excellent start for us in that you know defensive midfielder role, I think I'd I would like I'd quite looking forward to seeing Reed and Johansson playing together. Obviously for Cardiff, we hope we had Reed and Arta playing together and it didn't work as well as we thought it would. Um, you know, Arta doesn't quite have that box to box stamina that Johansson has. So I'm quite looking forward to seeing Reed, who's probably a bit more defensive minded than Arta, just kind of sit back, almost play a, a K Mac light role almost. And Steph Joe to be his usual box to box. And I'm hoping that gives Kearney the opportunity to, you know, get forward a lot more and create a lot more chances. I've noticed, you know, in the last few games, he hasn't really been going forward as much as he used to. Maybe it's the style of pay, play that Parker likes to, you know, implement. Um, but no, I'm fully expecting to see those three in the midfield. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just, just to say, last season um, from January... Steph Jay played 14 times for West Brom, scored twice and got three assists. I can see him scoring this weekend, to be honest, but we'll come on to that shortly. So West Brom are something of a yo-yo side, Morgs, aren't they? They're in fourth position at the moment. They've, they've made a good start this season. They've won three. They've drawn three. They're undefeated. Um, scored seven goals and um, only conceded three. Do you see them as promotion contenders this season? Yeah, for sure. I think they they are a good they are a good side. I think I don't think they'll be automatics, but I think they'll certainly be in the playoff fight. I think you know Bilic had a bit of a mixed time at West Ham, um, but I think he's a decent manager, and I think he'll uh, he'll uh, do pretty well at this level. They do need to sort of maybe have a bit more consistency. Um, I think you know, so they've been a bit. You know they haven't. Um, I can't remember what you said the record was, but they haven't actually lost too many. But they uh, had a bit of a lucky three escape. Wins, three, draws. three wins, three draws. Okay, yeah. well, that's not too bad then, is it? But yeah, I think you know they'll definitely keep going. I think towards the end of the season, whether they have a you know huge amount of squad depth or not, I don't know. But they are they are a good quality side, and I think if they have the right organisation, then they should be sort of you know a difficult team to beat. Um, and I think, you know, I think it'll be a hard one this weekend. I think without um, Arta there, who has been, I think he's been our sort of standout player um, since he came into the team. He, I think, you know, he brings that sort of solidity that no one else has been able to bring. And I think he kind of, it's almost like K-Mac in the promotion season. And obviously K-Mac is not the same player that he was in the promotion season. So um, bringing him in, you know, it's probably unlikely, but uh, you know, I think it'll be. I think it'll be a tight game. I don't think there'll be a huge amount of uh, goals in it. Um, there may be one or two, but yeah, it will be. A, it'll be a good game. With that in mind, then Stato, do you think that a win in this match is a is a real statement that we are serious about going up? Uh, absolutely, I think so. Um, especially, you know, we haven't won in two games now, and if we don't win, you know on Saturday that's two home matches in a row that we don't we haven't won and let's be honest in the championship if we're looking to get promotion that's not good enough and especially you know this is I was going to say this is probably the first big test but we have played Cardiff away and Huddersfield away but you know they're not particularly in good form you know this is probably one of the first form teams we've come up against and 
you know, getting a big win here will be a you know a huge confidence boost for the players, for the manager, and you know, and it could set up that momentum we need to go. You know, some mazy winning streak, you know, in the lead up for Christmas. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. I, I think it's a massive game for us, and yeah, it could be could be a real springboard to get the season back on track after the the loss at home to Forest, and then the um, the. The point that we gained against Cardiff, but before that game, I was I was hoping for a win as well. So I'd really like to see us win this one. Plus, yeah. post sort of international break as well, it'd be quite interesting to see how we come out because obviously, hmm. you know, when you get uh, the players come back, we've had a few sort of out and about uh, dotted around the planet. Um, so you know, it will be interesting to see how uh, you know Mitro and Reem. Um, Mitro uh, scored, guess, didn't he? He did. For Serbia. Uh, I don't Is know how uh, Reem did, but. Yeah, they're playing Luxembourg. Uh, he scored. He is one there nil, you go. One nil away to Luxembourg. Yeah, so, so take him we off. Are, we're, we're recording this on Tuesday evening and assuming that some of you guys are listening to this on Thursday morning this week. Yeah, we're uh, we're recording it a couple of days early. So England are currently 5-1 up at half-time as well. Oh, which wow. Is, uh, <laughs> which is amazing, really. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> Just just for a bit of fun then, um, Saturday lunchtime kickoff Stato, are they for you? Um, it's I want to say yes, but you know the the whole point of lunchtime kickoffs is so that you know the big TV corporations can get as many televised matches out there as possible, which is fine. But you know the, you need to think of the fans, so you know. This this doesn't just go for the lunchtime kickoffs. This goes for Friday night games and Sunday games. You know, so Friday night we played Huddersfield away. Why would you put a London-based team, give them an away game on a Friday night? You know, that makes no sense for the fans. And similarly for a lunchtime kickoff, making lots of West Brom fans come down for an early kickoff. You know, it's you know if you're going to do lunchtime games, you know at least do local derbies or games where fans don't necessarily need to travel too far. Yeah, I mean, for for me, I'm a big fan of a 3pm on Saturday and anything else is just, uh, I can't stand it. But if it's not my team that's involved and I'm doing nothing else on a Saturday, then I'm quite happy for a, a 12, 12.30 game on a Saturday. But if it means I've got to go all the way to, I don't know, Huddersfield or wherever to, to see my team play on a Saturday lunchtime, then then I'm not that keen. What what do you think, Morgs? I kind of I see it from the point of view of you know games like you know Villa Birmingham or Man U Liverpool or whatever where from a security point of view you you have those games at sort of midday half past twelve so the fans can't get too pissed and start beating the shit out of each other. Um, but when it's full I'll of West Brom, that <laughs> what they could do. If you want, but it's, it's I think I think that's the technical reason why they do it. Um, but from a point of view of full and West Brom, it's like. Come on, that is not a twelve thirty on a Saturday game. That is a three pm kickoff, yeah. you know, or you know, or a Sunday if you must. But I just, I yeah, I'm the same as you. I I like my Saturday three pm's. I know they're few and far between these days, but uh, you know, unless you're trying to protect me from having my head kicked in, I don't want to have a game closer to breakfast than lunchtime. Fair enough. That's a good way of putting it. Right. In front of me, I've got the uh, the stats that Stato you lovingly prepared for us earlier. Um, as always. So, as always, exactly. Um, Fulham and West Brom have met 82 times in the past, with Fulham winning 27 and West Brom winning 36. So we need to redress the balance there for sure. 
Um, Fulham have won three of the last eight meetings with West Brom. Uh, there have been four draws and just the one defeat. So I guess we're, we're slightly ahead in more recent times. We last met in the 2014 season when, uh, when there were two draws. Uh, but the last time we met in the Championship was way back in the Jean Tigana season. Um, in April 2001, we drew 0-0 at the Cottage. And then earlier in that season, we won 3-1 at the Hawthorns as well, where Sean Davis grabbed a couple of goals. That was a, a really good game, that one. Um, former players that we share with West Brom, obviously we've already mentioned Stefan Johansson, who was on loan there last season. Berdinho, the aforementioned Zolzan Gira, who we spoke about earlier also. Nicky Shorey, we had him on loan, I think, the left back. Giles mm-hmm. Barnes, did he ever play for us? Uh, he was on the books. <laughs> he was definitely on the books. I remember him waving on the pitch once, but I don't think he, I don't think he I've ever done that. Seen, did he? <laughs> of course you have. Of course you have. <laughs> um, Jonathan Greening, Europa legend. Jumanzi Camera, Camera, the uh, the... Great escape season, legend with his, his fantastic goal against um, uh, against Man City away. Pascal Zubabula, legendary bench warmer. Super Jeff Horsfield, legend. Inamoto, Kieran Richardson, and Paul Pesky Solido as well. So we've had we've had a lot of players shared with him over the years, and that's just the the more recent years as well. Um, so there's quite a, an affiliation between the two clubs in that sense. Um. Looking back at how West Brom did last season, uh, they got to the playoff semi-final and lost to Aston Villa on penalties. Bizarrely, they sacked their manager, Darren Moore, towards the end of the season, whilst they were already quite nicely placed in the in the playoffs. Yeah, um, and it, it cost them promotion in the end. Uh, well, I don't know whether that decision did, but they didn't go up, so let's say it did. They won 48% of their away games. Um, they lost eight out of their 23 away games. Hopefully they will be losing this weekend. They scored 34 goals in the 23 away games and conceded 31. And 59% of their goals away from home came in the second half. So with them being more likely to score in the second half and our defence being quite leaky at times, I suppose. I guess I guess we need to watch ourselves. But they, they did have Dwight Gale last season. Um, I think um, we've already mentioned their results this season with their three wins and their three draws. Um, key players, um, Stato. Do you want to do you want to run us through some of their key players for this season? I've I've penciled Sam Johnson, the goalkeeper, Kenneth Sahor, and Charlie Austin. Anybody else we need to watch out for? Um, they signed Romain Sawyer from Brentford, and I th- he was always quite an important player for Brentford. Um, not that I like saying that at all. I haven't seen much of West Brom so far this year, so you know I, I haven't quite figured out how they like to set up under Slaven Bilic, whether it's any different from what it was under Darren Moore last year. I think last year under Moore, they like to play three at the back with wing-backs. Um, I'm not sure they've been utilising that at all this year or not. Obviously, they've still got long-staying players like Chris Brunt. He's still there, I think. Um, always dangerous, particularly at this level. Um, and also, is James Morrison still there? Who knows? Uh, I think he might be. No. Is he not? No. Doesn't look um, like it. So, you know, I think they're very much going through a a large transition period. Um over the summer, they lost a lot of players that they kind of retained in the Premier League, players like Jay Rodriguez, um, Craig Dawson. 
you know they've all moved on to Premier League clubs now. So there's almost a there's almost a mini re- rebuild going on there, and obviously they've got off to a great start. Um, and obviously Kenneth Sahor, he's and Charlie Austin, they've got some considerable firepower there in the championship. Um, Zahor scored 25 goals in 60 championship games for Cardiff, I believe. Um, Charlie Austin scoring 66 goals um, in 132 championship games for various teams, including QPR, Burnley. Um, there's another team as well, I can't quite remember. So, you know, they're going to be a dangerous team. Yeah, okay. Well, with that in mind then, what do you think the score is going to be? What's your prediction? Uh, I want to say a Fulham win, obviously. Um, mm. I think... I want you to as well. I should, I should. I'm just a bit... <laughs> Go uh, on. It's a, it's a bad thing that I'm a bit hesitant about that, though. Um, but I want to say Fulham, I want to say a 3-1 win for Fulham. I also want to say that if we don't win, given the how fickle fan, football fans are, I can expect to see the first Parker out chance coming if we don't win... To, on Saturday. Oh, surely not. Oh. No. Given her fickle football It's already happened, yeah. hasn't it? Was that, were people not saying that after the Barnsley defeat, the first game? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just to say, I'm not part of that brigade at all, but, you know, right, you can definitely see that happening if we lose against West Brom, which won't happen. Definitely won't happen. Good man. Good man. So what did you say the score was going to be? I want to say 3-1 for them. 3-1. Good man. Good man. All right. What about you, Morgs? What do you think? Uh, I don't think there'll be that many goals in it. Um, I think, yeah, I'm the same as uh, Stata. I'm not quite sure if I sort of, I want to say a Fulham win. Um, and on that note, I'm going to say, I'm going to say 1-0. I'm going to I'm gonna go for a clean sheet, but I don't think there's going to be much. <laughs> it's bold. I was thinking 1-0 as well. And I was thinking Stefan Johansson's going to get the goal. And then last minute one of their players is going to be clean through and he's just going to go in and completely take him out with kind of <laughs> kung fu kick to the chest or something classic step or as like, he calls it a tackle <laughs> yeah, exactly exactly all right well okay well I, I think every time we've done a, a podcast so far this season everybody said it's going to be a full and win so that's a good thing because this time last year we were happily well not happily but readily predicting fulham to lose every week no, it's only yeah. it's only a few weeks into it, we're only a, you know just over a month into the season. I think you know it's going to be a little while before we start doing the uh, the flippant. Oh fuck it, we're going to lose four uh, <laughs> nil. You know, yeah. There was still okay. optimism at this point last year. I exactly. Think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's there's more optimism and there's more reasons to be optimistic this time. Um, we've made a decent start, decent-ish start. So we're we're there or thereabouts. So good stuff. All right, guys. Um, Morgs. Any other business before we uh, before we go? No, I think I think that uh, covers it all quite nicely. I don't think you know. I'm quite happy for the international break to be over now. Um, I think it's good to you know get back to club football and you know just forget about you know all that nonsense in Europe for a little bit longer. So yeah, just looking forward to getting back to it. Good man, good man. What about you, Stato? Anything else to add? No, yeah. Likewise, I'm just looking forward to the international break being over. It's I mean, yeah, it's great that England are winning, but you know, it's against teams like Kosovo and Bulgaria. I mean, roll on, roll on, club football. Yeah, completely agree. Nice one, lads. Okie dokie. Um, well, thanks you both for joining me, and to everybody at home for listening. We always appreciate you doing so, as otherwise it would all be a little bit pointless, wouldn't it? If you like what you hear, why not tell the person sitting next to you at the cottage on Saturday? Unless they're a West Brom fan, of course. If they're a West Brom fan, have them ejected for goodness' sake. 
Seriously, though, we'd all really love to grow this show and any help you can give us would be greatly appreciated. So please do tell all your friends to subscribe if you like what you hear. In the meantime, find us on all the usual social media channels. Here's to a big performance on Saturday and we'll be back to talk all about it on Monday morning. See you then. Cheers.